Good morning. Right. Okay. Well, we're continuing um, our series on the letter that Paul wrote um, to the Corinthian church. Um, One of them. uh, We don't have them all, uh, but we call it 1 Corinthians. Um, And we've been characterizing um, this church as one that needs to grow up. So a lot of our talks have been surrounding that area. Um, We've been saying that this church is kind of stuck in spiritual childhood or adolescence. Um, This church is um, sort of really uh, wants to be religious. They're really excited. They're always kind of boasting about who is the best at this and the best at that. Um, So there's sort of good and bad in the fact that they want to really serve God, but um, actually... That means that they're kind of arrogant, maybe they look down on each other, and there's a lot of bickering. Um, And Paul says really strongly to this church, you need to grow up. Uh, You need to stop bickering, because that's a sign straight away that you're not. Um, Another sign of the immaturity in this church is that um, they kind of accept what's in the surrounding culture without questioning it. Um, And I think that's a really hard one for all of us, because often we don't even know what our culture is. It's only when we go to another culture that we suddenly realise what British culture is. Um, It's a bit, I always think it's a bit like the whole frog in the hot pot thing, was it, you heat it up slowly, he doesn't know that it's getting hotter. And it's a bit like that, I think, for Christians sometimes, because we're so immersed in our culture It's very hard to know what's going on. Um, Now, the Corinthian church, um, one thing that showed that they really did absorb the culture was in the area of sex. And last week, if you were here, if you weren't, I suggest you um, go to our website and download it and have a listen. Um, Last year, John was looking at some of the confusions that the Corinthian church had in this area. Um, One of them is seen in chapter 7, right at the beginning of the chapter. Um, So you can look that up if you want. Now's a good time to do it. Let's open our Bibles, if you want to, at chapter 7. Or open it on our phones, whatever you feel more comfortable with. (laughs) I can see a few people. (laughs) And right at the beginning, um, the Corinthian church, um, Paul kind of says... It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Now, he's quoting back to the church something that they've written to him about. Um, Maybe they think he's going to be in agreement with them because he is himself a celibate man. He's he's not in a marriage at this point. Um, But Paul, he tackles that straight on. He's looking at the underlying belief of the culture, which was that um, sex was dirty. Um, It was far more spiritual to not have anything to do with someone of the opposite sex, uh, not even with your wife or your husband. Um, So he responds to this question in this chapter, and he tackles marriage, he tackles those that have separated, he tackles those that are engaged, He tackles those that have never married and those that are widowed. Every angle, he's tackling this subject. Um, And John reminded us last week that in the Bible, sex is not seen as dirty. In fact, the opposite, it's seen as good. And it's right there in creation at the beginning. 
human beings have taken, like many things that we have, taken something good and made it bad. When you take something good out of the context it's meant to be in, it becomes bad. And marriage, John told us, is um, sex is meant for marriage. If we take it out of it, it becomes cheapened, um, and we maybe align it with something no more profound um, than any other bodily function. So if you're hungry, you eat. If you feel sexual, you have sex. No difference, just to do with the body. But John reminded us last week that sex is also profound. It embodies the joining of two people in a spiritual sense as well as a physical one. That ultimate giving of oneself to another. Uh, When we take sex outside of marriage, suddenly it doesn't become about giving, but it comes about taking. What can I get out of this? Um, We see it really clearly in the marriage vows. All that I am I give to you. And this is like the ultimate, all that I am, I now give to you. And that's the place that God wants it to be. So last week, um, John went through, um, sex is not dirty, it's good. Sex is uh, not petty, it's profound. And then the last thing he kind of left hanging was um, sex is not ultimate, it points to something more. And although I'm not going to specifically carry on that whole kind of theme of sex, Um, I'm going to take it a bit broader in this chapter. Uh, We will kind of hint at that sort of point as well. Um, So we're going to start looking at um, verse uh, 17 to 24. We're going to read it in bits, and I'm going to jump about a bit, but we'll start with 17 to 24. So it says, Nevertheless, each one of you should retain the place in life that the Lord assigned him to, which God has called him. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not become circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each one of you should remain in the situation which he was in when God called him. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For he who was a slave when he was called by the Lord is the Lord's free man. And similarly, he who was a free man when he was called is Christ's slave. You were brought as a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brothers, each man is responsible to God and should remain in the situation God has called him to. Now, it seems like Paul has made a massive jump. He's been going on about marriage and um, singleness, and he's been talking all about that sort of area, and now he seems to jump to something completely different. Now, of course he hasn't. This is a bit like when you're uh, arguing something and you want to make a point, so you use an illustration from somewhere else in life. And Paul uses this illustration to make his overriding point of the whole chapter. Um, And you find it right at the beginning, in verse 17, when he says, nevertheless, okay, nevertheless. So the bit before was just about if you have an unbelieving wife or husband and they want to leave you, let them, okay? It's not your business. They're not uh, saying that they're Christians. They're not submitting to the Lord. We live in peace, okay? So other than that exception, nevertheless, each one should retain the place in life 
that the Lord assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is a key bush. You'll notice he does it three times. I don't know if you ever feel um, frustrated like I do that others around you seem to glide through life. Um, Everything goes well. It's so easy for them. You ever seen that? Those easy people. Um, It's so little effort. There's no struggles, it appears. Everything seems to work out for them. All your dreams and hopes, they seem to have achieved, and they're only 25, and they've done it all, and they're living this perfect life. Part of our frustration comes from the fact that we can't help but compare ourselves to others. And when we compare, we're generally comparing ourselves in a mindset that is whatever is normal in our culture. So what is normal for this culture we live in? For example, we might compare ourselves on the following. Um, How successful was I at school? Okay? We're comparing it culturally. How successful was I at school? Well, that would be about whether I got an A, B, C, D, something else. Okay, how successful was I? That's what our culture measures it on. How successful have I been in my dress sense? Don't tell me. My hairstyle. How successful have I been in my looks? How successful have I been in my career? How successful have I been as a parent? How successful have I been in my marriage? We're comparing ourselves constantly. And sometimes it is really hard to think that God has assigned us a place, called us to the particular life that we are in right now. Why, for example, would God want me to be stuck in this crummy job I'm doing, this stressful job I'm doing? Why would God want me to have this illness that I have got here now? Why would God want me to be single at the moment? Clearly, I'm an amazing woman or an amazing man. Why am I single? Why would God want me to stay with this woman or this man? At the moment, they don't seem to love me or love God. So why would he want me to stay there? Surely, God cannot expect this of me. Now, those are tough things. Don't don't flee the room. There'll be kind of stuff coming. (laughs) Paul uses here two popular issues um, where people want to change their situation. But they either can't change it or it is really hard to do that. Okay. So first, circumcision. Um, Some thought it made them more holy. Uh, Some were embarrassed by it. Uh, You're probably thinking, how on earth can you become uncircumcised? Um, I read some very weird stuff about people drawing stuff, but, you know. And someone mentioned an episode in Friends, but we won't go into that. Okay. (laughs) But they're fixating on what was the norm. In this kind of culture, maybe it suggested Jewishness wasn't a great thing to be at that time. Um, Maybe they want to elevate their religious status. But they'd lost sight of what really counted. And Paul says to them, look, none of that matters. What matters is keeping God's commandments. He takes them back to that. Secondly, uh, Paul takes something they can't change, slavery. They might desire to be free, but if you're a slave, you're a slave. You can't just go, oh, I'm off now. Thank you. Had enough for you. Actually, it doesn't work like that, does it? And Paul tells them not to be anxious. 
He points them to the gospel and he says, look, look, your true master, and we all need to do this, don't we? Your true master is Jesus, not the person you're working for. Uh, He's the one you're ultimately bound to. And you can imagine, can't you, the people reading Paul's letter, they're still so frustrated. It's like telling a single person, your real husband is Jesus. Or you're really depressed. Your joy should be in the Lord. Okay, it's a bit like that. We don't really want to hear it because, you know, what we want is God to change our situation into what we perceive as being perfect right now. In Romans 12, um, chapter 1 and 2, Paul, remember, John talked about this last week. Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's about what your mind is doing, isn't it? Um, you need to rework your mind. Uh, we're in a culture that's driving into our mind all the time what is right, what is acceptable, what we should be striving for, what is normal. And we need to be looking not to that, but to the word of God to see what counts. Who is Jesus? Why is the world the way it is? How should I live? live? What about my current situation? And we often sometimes do know the truth. We say, Lee, I know that. But these feelings I have are so strong. Such powerful emotions inside me. It's too strong for me. And Paul wants to change their attitude to the situation to see what really counts, giving them hope. And three times in this situation, Paul tells them to walk with Jesus where they are. Now, it doesn't exactly say that in the NIV. It talks about remaining in the situation. But the kind of, the gist of it, or if you look at the Greek, is about walking. So imagine this, Jesus... He's telling them to walk with Jesus where they are. Um, It can be really tempting to excuse ourselves, um, saying, I'd be a much better Christian, actually, if I'd been given something different in life, if I'd had different cards dealt to me. Um, If I'd inherited money, I'd be really generous with it. Um, If I had a huge home, actually, I'd be really hospitable. I'd have loads of people over. If I was born in a different culture where there weren't so many pressures, maybe I I wouldn't, you know, I'd have more free time. Um, If I'd had more loving parents, perhaps I would know how to love people. Or if I'd been blessed with intelligence, perhaps I could do a really valuable job for the Lord. Um, Perhaps if I'd gotten married, I could witness more effectively. Perhaps if I'd had children, I could help people with children. Perhaps if I hadn't got children, I could serve more the Lord in church. Can you see how we kind of twist our minds to say, if this was the case, I'd walk with God better. And Paul is clear that we shouldn't be begrudging our situation, but recognize that God has assigned us the place that we're in at this time in this life. We've got a job to do to serve him and to point others to him. So you're now saying, okay, Lee, thanks for that. So you're just telling me now, this is my lot. Ah, get on with it. <laughs> well, yeah, yes and no. If you look at what Paul says to the slave, um, he says, if you can gain your freedom, do so. Okay, if you can gain your freedom, do so. So he's not saying slavery's right, that's it, just get on with it, tough. He says, if you can gain your freedom, do so. 
And sometimes we want to change our circumstances and we shouldn't change them. Like if we're married, it's really clear, isn't it? Really clear, we don't change that. Uh, if we're single, we might want to change it and there's an option too. So, like the slave, if you want to change this, you can. You want to look for a believing wife, a believing husband, it's not a problem. But this shouldn't consume you. This isn't your whole focus. Everything is about, if only I was this, I would be okay. If only I had a different job, actually I'd walk with Jesus better. If only I had more money, I would give more. If only, can you see how we can always use excuses? Ephesians 2, um, verse 10 says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Whatever our situation, whatever our background, our marital status, our nationality, we're to serve Jesus faithfully where we are. Uh, It's not wrong to make plans for the future, is it? It's not wrong to provide for our families. But Paul is saying if we allow ourselves to become totally consumed with our situation, we'll lose sight of what counts. And also, I think we need to remember, walking with Jesus in our situation, once we've got our mindset on, it's not going to mean that this heart suddenly goes, I'm fine now. Actually, it's often still tough, isn't it? It's often still painful. Tears of regret, tears of pain, tears of frustration. Following Jesus can often uh, feel like anything but a blessing, actually. You find yourself thinking, actually, if I wasn't a Christian, I'd probably be a lot better off right now. If I wasn't a Christian, I'd probably be married, actually. Because being a Christian, I've now got this many people I could marry, and actually none of them seem to be the right one for me. Or if I was a Christian, if I wasn't a Christian, I might be divorced now. I might have found someone else. There's a verse in 1 Peter that says, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. And um, sometimes doing what is right, living kingdom values, things that we think are the right thing to do based on what God has said, that ultimately God is good and he has good things for us and we will trust him even in this very difficult situation. We might be suffering. We can sometimes think it's a very high price I'm paying here for kingdom values. But it's deep down, isn't it? And I hear people say this time and time again, um, that life isn't great, life's not brilliant, it's tough, I'm struggling, but I'm going to choose that path Because I know ultimately that Jesus is Lord, that God is good, and that he has a future and a hope for me. Let's look at verse 25 to 28, and then we're going to jump to 36 to 38. Squashing some things. It says, now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it's good for you to remain as you are. Are you married? Do not seek divorce. Are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. 
But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you of this. If anyone thinks, uh, verse 36, if anyone thinks he's acting improperly towards the virgin he is engaged to, and if she's getting along in years, and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He's not sinning. They should get married, but the man who settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion, but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then, he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does even better. (laughs) I love this. (laughs) Okay. Okay, now Paul, following his illustration, remember, remain where you are, okay? He returns to the questions, okay? Because when he starts, he says, you know, asking the questions that you sent to me in your letter, okay? So there's been some letters before. He returns to the questions. And the Corinthian congregation, they want to know about those people that are engaged, okay? All the unmarried. And Paul gives this advice. And he says here, doesn't he, um, and in other parts, that, you know, it's not from the Old Testament that he's getting this. It's not from the teaching of Jesus. But he's giving godly advice to them as their pastor, Okay, this is what he's doing. It's like going to someone in the church and saying, um, this is my situation, what do you think? And obviously, Paul is inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is his godly advice to this current particular situation. Look at verse 26. It says, because of the present crisis. Okay, so it appears here, Paul's doing another concession. That they remain as they are, not because sex is dirty, not because of um, anything else, but because of this crisis. Um, We're not entirely sure what that was. Could have been famine, could have been persecution. But he says in this particular crisis, it might be better to stay as you are. Um, I guess today, (coughs) bad times to get married might be you've lost your job or you haven't finished uni, or you're starting a number of new things, or you haven't known each other very long. None of these really are going to make your marriage very easy. But, as Paul says here, you don't sin by doing it. It's not sin. He's just saying, look, guys, in the present crisis, whatever's going on in life, maybe now is not the best time to get married. Paul wants them, remember, to live for God in the now. But that's not the whole story, is it? Paul also wants them to live in the not yet. So let's look at verse 29 to 35. 29. What I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they had none. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affair, how he can please the Lord's. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. 
but a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way, in an undivided, undivided devotion to the Lord. So Paul wants to show them further why it's not that important to change their situation. Even in this culture obsessed with marriage, sex, family, status, religiosity, he says time is short. And Paul always holds, doesn't he, in his hands the now and the not yet, the immediate and what is to come. And he uses these sweeping contrasts here, not because he's saying, um, literally saying, if you're married, pretend you're not, because he's just been giving advice to marrieds about living like they're married. And not to say, if you're mourning, don't mourn at all, because he says elsewhere in his letters, doesn't he, mourn with those that mourn, rejoice with those that rejoice. But he wants to give this contrast, he wants to make a point that these things are not to overwhelm them so much that they become the consumed kind of bit of their thoughts, that all they can think about is this. He wants to say there is more to life than just the now. There is hope to come. This world is passing away. He sees the time short. Um, If you read Peter's, he says um, it's a little while. And I guess compared with eternity... Our time here is short. We are to hold marriage and life and things that make us happy, the material things, really loosely, aren't we? Because there's more than this. There has to be a balance about what we believe about the future so that we don't become totally engrossed and fixated on the now. If we become so obsessed with, I must do this or my life will be ended... We become fixated on that, haven't we? Everything we hold dear, there is a greater thing to come. No marriage, can it, can ultimately fulfill us. If we idolise marriage or a marriage partner, then actually we meet nothing but disappointment because we're not perfect. If we have a good marriage, it's a pointer something even better to come. If we're single or we're dissatisfied in our marriage, we yearn for ultimate fulfillment of something better to come. And in the future, we're going to be, we will know as we are fully known. That complete knowing that we see in, in, as a couple unite in sex, isn't it? That's a picture of what is to come, of being known and fully known and knowing, that complete oneness that is to come, the complete peace that is to come. We might find security now. We might have enough money. We feel quite okay about it because we're quite safe. We've got our mortgages and we've got our uh, mortgage protection and we've got our insurance. But that's a pointer of the ultimate peace that is to come. If we mourn now, we've got something better to come. We know we've got hope and joy and a future to come. Paul has in his mind always the bigger picture on things that starts with the need to work for the kingdom. If you read earlier, he himself chose singleness and he he calls it a gift 
Because what is it he says in this passage? He recognizes that as a single man, he's able to serve the kingdom more fully at that present time. That's what he sees. Crisis, maybe not a good time to be married. What does he do? Travel around, not a good thing to take a wife with him. He sees it as a gift. And he's asking these people, look at your current marital status and base that on the kingdom. What would be best for now? To be married or not married? Either way, marriage or single, slave, free, he's addressed that, circumcised, uncircumcised, male, female, rich, poor, wherever we are in life, Paul encourages us to live for Jesus the best way we can. In our current situation, in the now, we are to walk with the Lord, even if that's tough. But at the same time, we're to hold the balance of the future, that things to come, which things now, maybe that bless us or curse us, ultimately point to something much better, a future reality, which far outweighs the now. So we're to live for God, not only in the now, but also with an eye on the future. Let's pray. Father, sometimes it is really hard to live in the now and we feel frustrated, we feel pain, we feel suffering. But Lord, as a community of people, we choose today to say that we will serve you. That ultimately we know that you are our hope, you are our future, you are a good God, you love us and we declare that today, that we will walk with you. And Father, some of us here have paid a high price comparatively for the kingdom. But Father, we know that your son has paid a higher price. That we are looking for something far, far, far bigger than we can ever hope for or even imagine. And Father, we pray for people here today who are struggling in the now. That they would know your Holy Spirit in that walk that they would know your gentleness in their walk right now. And Father, for those of us maybe that are walking joyfully today, that things have seemed to work out recently, may we hold it lightly and look for something far better in the future. May we know that this is just a taster of what is to come. Amen.